All right. Acts in depth, which sounds like what it means is I'm over my head. <laughs> so we'll just start with that outright. <laughs> um, I do have notes. In my former life as a pastor, we had a joke that we would have notes even if we were just eating food. <laughs> so I'm going to just let you take one and pass it back. Huh? Oh, we always got gravy on the paper, but... <laughs> no, but we liked our notes. We did it in a way, we had fill in the blanks. There's no blanks here tonight, but we had fill in the blanks so that the little kids would even follow along and fill them in. So we liked doing that. So Anyway, this one is probably one of the harder topics I'll cover. And I'm only covering it first because logically it needs to come first. We're going to cover Acts in depth. I have 11 sessions barring any snow days, right? <laughs> so if we have snow days, these will be reduced. I'm kind of playing it by ear a little bit, but we are going to do our best to answer the question, our apostles for today, for example. We're going to look at tongues and if you're familiar with that at all, that's a lot of study in one session we plan on doing it. Uh, how to determine the will of God. The apostles use lots. So we're going to talk about that. Uh, repentance, what it is and why it matters. Acts 2.38 is probably enough to govern 11 sessions. We're not going to do that, but we're going to discuss repentance. And a lot, there's a lot of confusion and repentance and a lot of emotion around repentance, right? Do you have to preach repentance for people to be saved or not? That'll be an interesting one. Do I need to be baptized to be saved? What is the baptism of the Spirit? Hopefully we'll be able to cover that in single sessions. Uh, I think I, I also put in there, um, in Acts 2, did the Pentecost fulfill Joel 2. So that's a question that you have to look at. And a lot of people say yes. A lot of people say no. Uh, quick question. Quick answer is no. But, uh, but we're also going to look at Joel 2. And it says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I'll give you a, a, a hopefully a wetting of your appetite I don't believe that has anything to do with spiritual salvation. So you can bring extra fruit, rotten fruit that night too. Uh, but we'll talk about it, and I think you'll agree with me when we're done. So it's not that hard to see, but once you start looking at it. So our goal is to be in the Word of God and to evaluate the Word of God. Today, the title of the message or study is, What are them... And why do they matter? And this might be, like I said, the hardest to present because it's a little more difficult to get your uh, brain around, not because of what we see, but because of what people purport that is there. So that's what we're going to look at today. Who are them and why do they matter? And it, it's in Acts 1 here. And again, it, it leads us into other topics that are logically going to flow from this. Okay? He commanded them 
not to depart from Jerusalem. Who is them? Now, this actually isn't that hard to figure out, but we need to answer that question so we understand why them is them and not somebody else. Am I already confusing you? Okay, good, good. We're there. Okay, how do we know, this is from Acts chapter 1, verse 4, how do we know who them is? How would we find out? The antecedents. The antecedents. That is so big of a word for me. But I understand what you're saying. What's another word that's shorter? Context. Context antecedents. How many syllables is it? Syllables. No, that's good. I'm just... It's hard when you have way smarter people than you are in your class, right? So you have lots of uh, vocabulary that... <laughs> but anyway, right? Same thing. This is what uh, Brother Moeller's saying. It's the context. It's what comes before, right? And even after. It's the context here. So we're going to look at Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 14. And this will be obvious, I think it should be anyway, and I have actually gone to the effort to highlight all of the words in Acts 1, verses 1 through 14 that relate to the subject and the antecedents and the what, what's afterwards? Proceedings? Ooh. Okay, there we go. So, But allow me to read this, and I actually have it on the screen too. And I'll probably just read it from there if that's okay. Acts, and then I've just broken it up as to what fits on the screen. It's not quite how it's broken up on yours, but you can follow along either way. The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up after he through the Holy Spirit had given commandments to the apostles, whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Now, would you say the apostles is the object, I guess, of the sense? And then whom refers back to apostles? Whom refers back to apostles and them refers back to the apostles. Yeah, so we're, we're up to like fifth grade English here, which I fared very poorly. <laughs> I had to take Greek to understand English here. Anyway, and being assembled together with them, and I didn't highlight that because it's italicized in the text. He commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Which probably had to be a very frustrating question to hear. He just spent three years of his life explaining things. And he said to, help me out, them, it, it is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you. shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And 
shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now when he had spoken these things while watched, he was taken up and the cloud received them out of sight. Now, we got a few more slides yet to go. But when you think of the ascension, who do you think as seeing Jesus go up? The Bible indicates it's just, how many? 11. <laughs> this, is, this is at the 11 point here. <laughs> okay, after Judas and before Matthias, okay? Anyway, we're going to keep going here. It's very specific, by the way. Verse 10, and while looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by in white apparel, who also said of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from into heaven will so come in like manner as saw him go into heaven. Then returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. Um, I am going to point out here the word men here is used one other time. Of The word right above it is the same. But there's different words for men in the Greek language. One that you're probably very familiar with is anthropos, right? That's a generic term. It's like mankind. This is not that word. This word, anyone have a relative by the name of Andrew? Okay, Andrew is what that comes from. It's Andres or Andre. Or on air is the root form, but it mean it's only used of adult males. Okay? So adult males. So when we say this here, or those that look like adult males, I assume those are angels. Usually we're not confusing men with angels, are we? <laughs> Very much. But it's adult men. That's what the, the the word is, okay? Just so you know, it's a little extra information there okay now uh, one more slide of this and you'll see it gets very specific and when they had entered they went up into the upper room where they were staying and it lists them by name peter james john and manly if i could use that okay andrew philip and thomas Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. These. Who are these referring to? The eleven. Right? So it's still, it, it, it nails it down. Here's the list. Here's the names. It's just the eleven. Now it says, these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. And then I underline two words because it separates them from the eleven. Right? These with, right, the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, in addition to, and with his brothers, James and Jude at least, right? So any problems with who them are? All right. It's not that hard, but you have to track it. 
but it's talking all the time about the apostles. The 11, because Judas had changed his course, right? Who was them? He commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem. Well, it's the 11 apostles. That's who Jesus was talking to. That's who saw Jesus ascend into heaven. That's who came back to Jerusalem. That's who was commanded by Jesus. Don't go anywhere. Stay until you get the promise of the Father, which we understand to be the Holy Spirit, right? He actually says that. Endued from, with power from on high, Luke says in Luke 24. So, we've done all of this to learn our pronouns, right? <laughs> Why does it matter? And you think, well, it, it's very obvious once you read it, what is there, right? And the first step of Bible study is to look at what is there, right? What is there? Let's keep going here. I'm trying to think if I got my slides. Oh, no, this will be all right. So, to the apostles, Jesus, and these are in your notes, I think, Gave commandments, right? He commanded them. And it just says he commanded the apostles in verse 2. He presented himself alive, verse 3. It actually says in, interspersed in the 40 days. It wasn't the entire 40 days, but kind of on and off in that 40-day period. He spoke of things pertaining to the kingdom of God to the apostles. All of these things are to the apostles. He commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem. Stay here. He commanded them to wait for the promise of the Father. He explained the limits regarding times or seasons. Right? Will you now restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said, it's none of your business. I think that's the literal Greek translation. <laughs> something, it's not, not something given to you to worry about. That's not your job. Not your mission. Right? Promised power through the Holy Spirit. You shall receive power. And again, these are all directly given to the apostles. And then instructs the apostles to be witnesses. And I call it the Great Commission. There's at least five passages in the Bible that deal with the Great Commission. Acts 1 would be one of them. Where are the others? Matthew's the, the give, give you one, right? There's one in Mark, that's the one that's contested or disputed, the last passage, uh, section of Mark 16, right? Matthew, Mark, and then Luke has one. Did you know Luke has a great commission? It's very brief, but it's there. John, does John have a great commission? It's part of the great commission. Jesus told Peter, asked him, do you love me? Feed his sheep is part of the Great Commission, right? Making disciples is part of the Great Commission. It's just focusing on teaching them to observe all things kind of thing, right? The three times Jesus asks Peter that. So there's at least five times the Great Commission is there. All right. And then he ascends into the sky. He goes into a cloud and then disappears from their view. Jesus in a Attention and focus. 
Where is it focused on? Where is Jesus' attention and focus? Now, this is, leads to a big deal. Uh, based upon these, this list here. <laughs> How's this? In Acts chapter 1. It's like his final instructions to those 11. I mean, it's okay. And, and his focus is the 11. That's all I'm getting at, and I agree with what you say. Uh, but he, he's spending three years with these guys. He does a little more. He works. He heals people and all that, but he keeps coming back to the 12 and then eventually the 11. That's where he spent his time. He chose 12 to be what? With him, right? We'll talk about that shortly. It's the apostles. And again, we keep coming back to that little question that two-year-olds ask all the time. Why? Right? Or a teenager. <laughs> I know a little bit about both. Why does it matter? Ask the same question again. Now, this is a different circumstance, different location. Acts 1 takes place on Mount Olivet. Mount of Olives, where does this take place? Based upon our, our keen observation skills. Galilee. Galilee, right? There we go, right? And like I said, most, most of our, our uh, challenges are jumping to conclusions, and all you got to do is read the conclusion, right? It's there. So who is them here? Eleven disciples, and it's, <coughs> disciples is sometimes used for the apostles, but it's not just any eleven, it's the eleven apostles, okay? So they're his followers, that's another official name, if you will, for them. But the eleven disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for, okay? And when saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. We're going to talk about that shortly here. And Jesus came and spoke to them. Who would that be apart from the first subject, I guess, here, right? Is still the 11 disciples. And then it goes on to give the Great Commission. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. Who's you? The eleven. And lo, I am with always, even to the end of the age. And we'll let Jim... Do his amen or something. So, now, what is hard here? Anything? Who is it to? Who is it concerning? Where it's at? This was a new exposure to me within our circles, not at faith. <laughs> um, a couple years ago, I heard a, a guy say, you know what? We misunderstand the text wrong. I'm like, how can somebody misunderstand the text wrong? I, you know, it's possible. Even for a guy that struggled with fifth grade English, I think I got this down, right? 
But he said, you know, when there was, in 1 Corinthians, it gives a list of um, instances where Jesus appeared to people. He appeared to Peter first, and then to the, he, he calls them the twelve, but that was an official title, regardless of how many were in the twelve, right? Because Judas was already gone at the time. But he goes and appears to others, including 500. All at one time, he appeared to 500 at once. The Bible does not say where or when. It's just in the middle of that 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 8 list. At the end, it's back to the apostles again. Okay? But he said, they would have heard the women at the tomb hear Jesus say, have the disciples go and meet me in Galilee. I will meet them there. So, we know... And these are his words. I can't prove it, but, okay, we know that this is where the 500 were. And that's what the text is teaching. And he kept saying about the text, and I'm like, I don't think that means what you think it means, <laughs> that idea. But I'm not disagreeing with the fact that Jesus appeared to 500 people all at once. But the Bible doesn't establish it, and certainly here the text does not. In fact, it seems to say just the opposite. But what he's saying here, and his, this was his premise, was because this whole crowd was there, when Jesus gave this command, and you might nod your head, that sounds right, but hold on. When Jesus gave this command, it was to everyone. He said the apostles are here, and that was, of course, a... Uh, uh, position of privilege, but there might have been businessmen there and other businessmen. I listened to this sermon last night again, so I got, I got this down pretty good. He said, and a tech guy, I'm not sure what kind of tech, but they had tech back then, right? Not the kind you're thinking of, though. Um, and they would be, well, why don't you stand over here? And probably some, they, the, these guys were fishermen. They were just simple fishermen, and slaves would be there. And then the women would be asked to stand in the back. Where do you think he was going with this? Hmm? Yeah, and, but it was also to equalize things. Now, I am a former army guy. I only spent four years in there, so everything I say can and will be used against me by these two guys. I understand that, right? Because they, they're for real guys, and I'm just a, a, a four-year-and-out guy. But rarely does communication come to the herd. If it is, it's probably some kind of speech before D-Day. <laughs> Something like that. The plans are already done. This is just to help you, encourage you. But if everybody gets the message the same, do you know what you do? Now, I'm speaking from a military standpoint. It erases command structure. 
everybody is on equal ground. And you say, that still sounds good to me. It's like, no, wait a second. It's not. It's chaos in the military and it's chaos in the church. And what he's saying is, and this was his premise, that everybody is on equal standing when it comes to the Great Commission. And again, that sounds good, but hang on a minute, okay? And everyone is responsible, equally responsible, equally able, and equally uh, able to do the Great Commission. Okay, and again, that sounds good, but I'm saying it's broken because number one, that is not what this says. Who was he talking to both in Acts 1 and here? The 11. The 11. Why is that important? Because they had studied with him for three years. He had taught them things that the 500 likely didn't have that depth of teaching and understanding. Right, he used the word simple fisherman, and I'm like, in my mind, it's like, Simple fisherman, maybe at the beginning, but not at the end. He just spent over three years with Jesus, the Son of God. Now, that doesn't mean they believed like they should because they were still baffled when he rose from the dead. It's like... But the Sanhedrin saw a big difference. When yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, and that happened in, in Acts 2. Mm -hmm. Right? This is before Acts 2, and we'll talk about that next week even. But... You cannot say something that doesn't, the Word of God does not say. And there's a reason why Jesus worked with 12 and then 11, rather than the whole crowd on an equal basis. And there's, there's all kinds of biblical logic there. Okay? What this gentleman was teaching uh, are you familiar with and i'm not trying to offend your intelligence by asking you this some people will know the terms some people will not but he is pushing for egalitarianism rather than complementarianism egalitarianism is it says that everyone's on equal terms and there is no difference before god male or female okay and there's one verse in Galatians that it says well, there's neither bond or free, male or female, and all that. And people hang all that they have on that. But this is trying to push this to say that with the 500 present that aren't there. But it's trying to say that everyone is on equal terms to do this. Now, do we believe the Great Commission ultimately is for everyone? Yes. But why did... Jesus worked with the 11. There's reasons. And if you wipe this out and say there was 500 people here, that's where they had to be. And by the way, there's no biblical evidence to say that. And this suggests the opposite. His argument was, well, some were um, doubted. I was like, well, the apostles didn't doubt. And I was like, ah, excuse me? Excuse, after the resurrection, Peter said, I'm going. Yeah. He was a doubter. They were wrestling with it. People didn't rise from the dead every day, and they didn't have special effects. Right? They, they weren't used to seeing the amazing things that you can see because of digital miraculousness. 
It was still hard, and then it was not the way they expected because they wanted a military leader to rush in and just make everything right. And we all say, Amen. <laughs> that would be great. But it didn't happen for them. Right? It's only to the 11. And there's all kinds of things, very, very uh, challenging, not challenging, it wasn't challenging, it made me frustrated because the word of God needs to be rightly divided or it has no point, right? That's, the, that's where we're headed here. So who is then the apostles? What does it mean? Well, let's go through here. If Jesus commanded the apostles versus Everyone. That's the two options, right? Jesus commanded just the 11, or was it a flat playing field and the apostles were just one of a number of groups, subgroups, right? Whoops. What did I just do? Oh, okay. Magic. That was a special effect, by the way. That was a black cow in a black snowstorm, but <laughs> okay. The left side is going to be the apostles, the right side, obviously, or not. It determines if Jesus defined church leadership or not. That's really where it boils down to. Is there such thing as an appointed leadership? And we're going to argue later on that we don't believe apostles are for today, so I'm not arguing that. Just leadership. And I tell you what, if there's a state in the 50 states of this union that likes to be independent, you're living in it. Because I've pastored here. Everyone wants to be their own boss. The problem is nobody really is. We need direction. We've had people over us. There's 17 occurrences of the idea of submission in the Bible. I think 10 of them have to do with human interactions. Submission is part of creation, right? It's not... There, but church leadership. It did, Jesus, did Jesus define church leadership or not? He, he did. They're called uh, apostles, I think. Um, he defines the nature of the local church or not. If the local church is just a horde rather than a structure, it doesn't work right. It, instead of an organism, it's a herd of cats. It's a herd of people, everyone doing what is right in their own. Yeah. It indicates if there is responsibility or, and accountability or not. Jesus made it clear over and over as he talked to the apostles. There is judgment coming. Matthew 16 talks about those that, uh, how does it say it? If you um, give up your life. How does it say it? Lose your life for my sake, you'll find if you find your life, you'll lose it kind of idea. If you look, it has to do with rewards, not salvation. Just read the rest of the passage there. But there's rewards. There's judgment there, right? If there's accountability and responsibility, if there is no church, there is no responsibility. There's no accountability. I'll do what I want. Jim will do what he wants. Jerry will do what he wants. And we're all right. Because there is no wrong, there is no structure, there is no entity that we are obligated to. If Jesus commands the apostles, it emphasizes the need for thorough training. Jim mentioned this. 
I did, this was years ago now, but I did a, 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 just a, a little bit of math. As you get older, math is just a four-letter word. All it is something that you remember you used to be able to do. But anyway, I put it this way, and at that time we were having Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday. So I just rounded up to three hours of teaching a week. If you went without missing any, how much would it compare to the apostles? Say they spent only eight hours a day with Jesus for three years. How would that compare? And by the way, I don't know about you, but I forget what I heard last week. A Sunday. It's, I call it the fade factor. Right? I forget things. So then just because I heard it doesn't mean it's stuck, but it, it builds over time, hopefully. Eight hours a day for three years, if you were an apostle, and they spent a lot of time overnight traveling. It wasn't just eight hours a day. So I'm being very conservative there, and I'm being very generous on three hours a week for church. Because you never get sick. You never get stuck at home. Your car always runs. Right? All of the above. It's equivalent to going to church not counting the fade factor. Three years with Jesus, eight hours a day is worth going to church for 50 years. You do the math. They were more than just fishermen by the time they were done. Now, they still didn't all connect it, and I believe it wasn't until the Holy Spirit came that it all made sense. Paul was the same way. Now it all makes sense, right? After he was the expert in the Old Testament and all that. So training or not, it's like to say that everyone's on an even keel is not, this, not true. Because Jesus didn't turn over the church, if you will, to everyone. He turned them over to the apostles, right? On purpose. Jesus commanding the apostles differentiates between gender responsibilities. Do you believe that or not? That's going away. Who did Jesus choose to be apostles? Men, adult men, by the way, because I'm going to go to that one next. But men, who did he choose to have lead churches? Men. Now, again, women are thinking, and we would probably agree that that's just God showing he has a sense of humor. Because men are the one thing that God said it's not good right? Until the women could help him, right? So I'm not, I'm not belittling anything. God put us in charge, and that's a huge burden, not a privilege, right? But also, he chose adult men. People talk about sending their kids as missionaries and stuff, and it's like, I don't think you understand what that word means. You can give a testimony, but they're not missionaries, would you send your kid by himself or herself to China? That's a missionary. You can share your testimony, but they went through a lot of training before they were sent out. Right? There's a maturity thing, and they still were getting it wrong. We'll look at that next week. As with the Gospels, Acts identifies the apostles as chosen by Jesus, trained by Jesus. They were adults, they were men, and 
They're identified by name in case we missed the first thousand pronouns. Okay? Now, here's a verse, and some of you were already thinking about it, but it's Ephesians 2, and I, I've added a few verses before or after verse 20. But now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the what? The foundation of the apostles and prophets. And I believe they were New Testament prophets. Sorry, it's not I believe. It's true. Um, but New Testament prophets like Agabus. Remember Agabus and some of the others? But they got direct revelation from God. The New Testament wasn't written for decades after Jesus was there, right? They were getting direct revelation and so on. A few people, not a lot. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Do you see structure and plan and purpose? It's not chaos. It's not, hey, everybody, on your marks, get set, go do whatever. It's not at all. We also have Ephesians 4. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. And it's for everyone's benefit. Look what happens. The equipping of the saints for the work of ministry for the edifying or building up of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. What's not to like about that? God created the church to be structured and organized and led ultimately by his word, right? What we have written down. What does it matter? The impact of the apostles as a foundation. What we're not talking about is apostolic succession. We don't believe that apostles succeed and we, the Mormons do, I think some others do, the apostolic church I think is in that category. We're not believing that, but we do believe in apostolic foundation, right? That's what the Bible teaches. We're directed by their leadership, their divine authority and decisions by means of their activities in the early church and now through their, the word of God, which was inspired through them, what we have written down. We're directed by their immediate revelation from God. The early church was, right? We're directed by the written revelation of God. That's what I believe partly the foundation is there. The foundation remains in your house. Fair? It's still there, you hope, right? So it's still there. You want it there. It's still there, and that's what we are directed by. God used those men to do that. And it's, we're directed by the God-given leadership structure that the apostles eventually developed under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. We're getting ready for election. Is that this Sunday? There's a reason for that. When, when the apostles say, hey, let's choose out seven men from among you, full of the Holy Spirit and all that, where did they come up with that? I believe it was direct understanding what's going on and whether they, they felt it or not, it was something that God was working through them to accomplish what the church needed. And I, I believe it's what we call deacons today. Right? Right? 
Jesus directly commissioned the apostles as the foundational authoritative leaders of the soon-to-be future church. And though through his working, through his apostles, Jesus established the foundation for local church order, leadership qualifications, authority structure, accountability, and reaffirmed gender roles. It doesn't undermine anything that ever existed in Scripture. It's compatible with Scripture before and after the book of Acts. I believe that we are to operate under a local church and within a local church because that's what God set up. It's the church, the local church under the auspices of God's leaders, pastors, and it's it's not within us, and you see it anywhere, it's not within us to decide to go do something. We interact with our leaders and fellow believers to decide. We don't just decide one day to say, you know what, I'm going to go do this ministry. It's like, oh, really? So what, is your, what do your pastors think? What, is, what do your fellow believers think? I always think this, I want to be a missionary. I want to go to, what's a nice place to go? I've never been to Hawaii. Is it nice there? Anyone been to Hawaii? I want to be a missionary in Hawaii. My cousin was there and with navigators for several years. It's like, okay. I mean, that was his third point post. But I want to go be a missionary. And my question would be to you, or your question should be to me, is really, are you trained? What, is, what, what does your church family think of that? And are you evangelizing here? And now, because going to Hawaii will only get you suntanned unless you're doing what you need to here and you're already prepared and all that. That makes sense? Or whatever the case might be. My first church that I pastored, I won't say where, it doesn't really matter. The young pastor, I was still in school at Faith. My last year, started pastoring a little church. And one guy said, I want to be a deacon. Okay, that's a noble pursuit. Said. So, what are your responsibilities now? Uh, I do opening exercises. Remember opening exercises? They need neither opened or nor exercised anything, right? And then he did that, and then he was on some mission committee or something. I said, well, how are you doing on those? And he looked at me for a second, he looked down, not very good, and he said, why would you want to be a deacon? You need to work up to it, improve yourself, and get good at what you do at that level, and then work your way up, you know, whatever it is. But you should work within your church. It isn't, we don't respond to mysticism, we respond to input from our local body. And we're here to serve one another in a body and a building, if we can use that terminology, not doing our own thing. We're responsible to one another. And in fact, the Bible says you cannot think that you are not important to the local body, and the, no one in the local body can think you're not important to the local body. 1 Corinthians 12, right? We're, in, we're needed. It's, a, it's an ongoing active thing, and we cannot approach the Bible in any way that dismisses what it actually says. Right? Don't tell me there's 500 people there if the Bible doesn't say there's not 500 people there. It says there's 11 Unless 11 doesn't mean. Yeah, so. Questions or comments?
this help? Confuse? Amuse? Maybe? Next, go ahead. Um, if it was in a different order, maybe I would lean toward that more, but we know there was New Testament prophets. So it certainly is built on the Old Testament without argument. In fact, 1 Timothy 3, all scriptures given by inspiration of God is talking about the Old Testament specifically, right? And it's profitable and all that. So, but I think that it was the new revelation that they needed when they first began until the scriptures were finished. So, but that's a good thought. It's very good. And I'd certainly say the, old, it, the New Testament, you cannot understand the New Testament unless you understand the Old Testament. So. I mean, in a sense, we have, we have the apostles. Yes. Right here. And we're to, here. Yeah. We're to, yeah, we're to live by that and know that. And it's not them ultimately, it's God working through them, but he chose them to do that, so... Next week, unless you have other questions, I'm going to stir the dust. Replacing Judas, mandated or muddled, is it something the apostles should have done or shouldn't have done? And let me tell you, these are the guys that were asking the wrong questions right up until Jesus went into heaven. But they completely changed in Acts 2. But Judas was chosen in Acts 1. Something to think about. <laughs> so, right? Anyway, I think there's things to think about there. So, anything else? Thank you for being here tonight. You encouraged me by being here. If you don't come back, that's okay, but I'll miss you. So, All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you for the privilege of studying your word and, and doing so together. And Lord, thank you that it's, it's not rocket science. You put it in a language where we can understand it and read it ourselves. And I pray that you would help us to just be good students of your word and help us, Lord, to reinforce what you say rather than take away from it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you very much.